Welcome one, welcome all to The Tension. I am your host, Mick White. The Tension is a podcast all about putting two theological subjects into right relationship and finding the truth that God, that God desires for His church. It is our hope that with this show that we will be able to reach the lost, equip the saints, and challenge you to think deeper into the things of God for the glory of God. We are so blessed and excited that you have decided to spend some time with us and pray that in some way you will be blessed by the conversation. I am joined by my brother, my friend, and pastor, Eric Moran. Hello, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, brother? I am I am good, man. I am super good. Uh, I would I would say that all the time is a pleasure to be around you, but sometimes it's not. Um, I mean that in love. You know, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, seriously, thanks for being here, and uh, I'm super stoked to begin our journey into this aspect of our ministry that we have launched. Uh, the Tension is just one of the many moving parts of the ministry that we have started Faith Fleshed Out. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about my my half of this, I guess, into, into, into the ministry and um, what I'm hoping to achieve on it, but I am just one person in this, and uh, hopefully this becomes you know, much bigger, and we have a lot more people that want to get involved in this. But Faith Fleshed Out is an online community that we have started for the purpose of building an online community in hopes to have conversations about topics that may be too touchy or controversial for your current friends, family, and church. We live in a digital age, and the majority of the people find their information on the internet. We want to go after the the lost while also helping equip the saints that are already doing the work commanded by Christ. Uh, go go forth and, and preach the word. I believe that's Romans 12, right? How will they know unless they have heard? Am, am I correct on that? 10, 14, but is we it, would have to look at is it. it 10? Is it 10? I don't know. I've been, all, I've been like all over it. So, But um, yes, and then... Uh, when I was when I was in church, I was in a charismatic church, and uh, I started reading the Bible. A lot of like different um, controversies began to form inside of the body through the the teachings and stuff like that. So I would go to the pastors and the leaders of the church, and I would ask them questions, and I was just told to you know have faith and pray. But when I was reading inside of Scripture, I was finding that there was a community here and I know that they were having conversations and asking questions and, and all of those things. And it's all for the purpose of growing in, um, in relationship with God. And so I was very, very, very much put off by that. And, uh, it didn't set right well in my spirit, you know, however you want to want to say that, but we, uh, we pray that one day our community will grow into a brick-and-mortar church spreading all across the world. In the meantime, we are striving to build a community that is pursuing the truth and not our version of the truth. And I think that is, like, super important and that it's missing in today's society, like, totally. Once again, going back to the, the principle, the design of God, we have Jesus Christ that set forth talking in parables, making sure that he told stories, that everyone is living out of stories so that they could personally connect and also see that it's driving unto a finish and also the fact that he asked questions i mean so he would receive a question and he would answer with a question and so naturally question and answers are the way that we learn according to the design of god which is what we're trying to set up here just a platform where brothers and sisters can ask the questions that maybe they would feel uncomfortable asking on a sunday morning service don't get the opportunity to ask during the traditional way that we perform our church services it's uh to be able to equip our youth with being able to answer questions that maybe they don't have a resource of wisdom um it's it's just to once again meet the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light inside of the body 
because there's one truth with God, it's either or, but it's always both and with us, which leads to the need and desire for conversation. Uh, absolutely. So <clears throat> I think it's very important that we say from the, from, the, from the very beginning that this ministry, Faith Fleshed Out, is not affiliated with any specific denomination or sect of church other than the biblical church bought and redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, that is because we get into a lot of we get into a lot of troubles with the Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist type deal. Like this is where a lot of divisions begin. And I and it's not that I don't understand those things. It's I I mean I totally do. But what I see more than anything is that it's the it's not being cognitively aware that you're if you're standing on truth, you should be able to have discourse. You should be able to defend your position. I mean that's a biblical command, you know, be ready in and out of season, stand on the truth, preach the word. Don't be afraid, you know, and even in the moments when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And I see a lot of people just going, nah, I don't, no, we're not doing that. We're not, we're just not doing that because, you know, you don't believe like I believe, so you just got to get out of here. And it's, I, I don't understand how that became, but I do, I do know that the, the fruit of that and the, the majority of church now, they are, they're, they're passive members instead of active participants inside of the church. And that's what we have really been called and bought and redeemed for is to take part in doing the work that Christ, that Christ did. I mean, that that's what this whole thing is about. So, but if we're not able to sit down and have conversations with believers, especially when we agree on what the, like on what the overall truth is on the, you know, the non-negotiable things, when you agree upon those things, but to throw your hands up and just say, no, nah, I'm just not talking to you anymore. How, how are you ever going to reach the lost? If you cannot even agree with the people that you call brothers and sisters, I mean, it just, and to me, it's just like, it's mind blowing. And I don't know if it's like a comfort level, maybe. I think maybe that's, maybe that could be like the biggest thing that's a part of that is, is like, well, I don't really know this guy and da, 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 da. But if we are one body, I think the biggest problem is, uh, another big problem is a lot of the times we have people wanting to be the head instead of being like, you know, the middle toe. And God's kind of humbled me in, in that aspect is like, I have my design, like perform function, you know, and I'm going to be like the best middle toe that I can be instead of, you know, wanting to have all of it make sense to me before I go out and do. I think a lot of the times we get too caught up in the plan instead of the action. So I think it's a, uh, it's super, super important that we will be able to open up that discourse and that dialogue in love and in truth, not in, Hey, I got you. I'm proving you wrong. But in a sense of like, no, I didn't know to start with, but after I've had conversations with people, I've learned a little bit more and I never would have learned that unless I had the conversation. So to put that intention, which is our, our, our goal and our purpose here is, According to God, we all have a sinful nature that we were born into, dead, spiritually separated from God, and there's an invitation that he has perfectly paid for for us to be able to enter into. Absolutely. And as long as it's about what we do instead of who we are, we're going to end up with the same arguments. And they may package themselves differently, but ultimately when you had the denominations that, once again, we're not saying there's anything wrong with denominations. We're saying that people don't even know what that denomination means anymore because time has changed. The questions have changed. The answers have changed. Absolutely. So when we look back and we say, okay, a Baptist and a Presbyterian and a Methodist that understood what that meant with non-negotiables built these strong walls to keep division inside the body, which is not natural, 
and it ended up with a cost moving forward into the mission. Now, what has happened is the world has definitely told us who we are way more than the church has had the ability to tell us who we are because of these divisions that we've created. And we've got to figure out a way to change that tide to be able to overcome those things. So a hundred years ago, we'll say that they were separated into this is who you are. And you came and heard a man tell you what we believe here. And if you're not part of that, then go somewhere else because this is the way and this is the truth and this is the life. Instead of realizing it's relational, not necessarily purpose driven. If if you have a understanding of who you are, you'll naturally do what you do and say what you say because of who you are and because of the relationship that's been made available that you do not deserve, realizing that you did not receive that until you understood who God was in the gift purchased by the blood of his son and the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father. When that starts to take place, we move away from the individual materialistic, this is what I'm going to do with my life and realize, no, the life that I've been given is to be spent on the worship and love of God and the worship, the, the, the ability to share and make a difference and impact in other people's lives. When we do that, it's the same argument on both ends, though, because if it becomes super spiritual and it's just about the doing, we're deceived. If it's about walling up and standing on what we believe, we're deceived, but it is both. We have to hold on to the truth of God, mm-hmm. but yet be able to make it relevant to those that are struggling with their questions and their answers, whether they be lost or saved, because ultimately saved people have the same questions because we don't know how to do who we are. I, I know yeah, that may absolutely. sound weird in a sentence, but it's ultimately, hey, okay, you, so you tell me I'm a believer, and the next question we ask is, how do I go do it? But if I go out into this public and they say, hey, introduce yourself, I'm going to say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ that gets to fight fire or that gets to be a water treatment operator. It's not going to be I'm a water treatment operator that's a Christian. Right. And and there's a switch there that we hope to be able to have real conversations over to where we can understand that there are answers. And then there's a step of faith. Yeah, absolutely. And with all that being said, we're not by any means whatsoever like shying away from working with churches because that's also a heartbeat of the ministry is to be able to give um, people a platform to be able to have these conversations with and and knowing that it's all in love and in seeking truth and in seeking the the wisdom of God. You know, I mean, that's what I mean. It's all about growth. It's not about you know a. a you know, Tyson versus Vander Holyfield type situation. We're not, this isn't combative. This is, this is iron sharpening iron, but we, we have to, somebody has, somebody has to basically step out, step up and step out and go and go out into those things. And I've seen, you know, a couple, a couple different platforms like this, but we need more of it, especially with the, I think what's the, what's the number of people that say that they're Christians in, in, in America right now? It's like, the last time I looked is 2012 numbers. So once again, that those are always changing. Right. But I mean, in 2012, 78% of Americans professed to be born again, believers, right? Like 82% believe that they were going to die and go to heaven. Right. Yeah. So do the, uh, you have this really, really cool analogy with, uh, with meat and with and with salt. So do that really fast where you talked about if those numbers were actually true. Um, so a lot of people want to say that reality is based in facts. And mm-hmm. then I would propose that reality is based in a time and process of relationship, your relationship with those facts. You can't take a what is and find out a what ought. The what ought is about the eternal truth of who you are, 
whether eternally separated or eternally being brought into right relationship. So Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 says that we are the salt of the earth, meaning that if we take the, the facts that you would say, this is reality, and I put 10 pounds of factual ground beef in front of you, <laughs> and then I took 7 pounds or even 80, well, 8.1 pounds of ionized salt, and I took my hands and I mixed it up and I cooked it, would you want to taste it? No. Because it would be so salty that you could not swallow it. Yeah. Everybody's eating the meat of this world because that saltiness is not there. So somebody is deceived in who they are or else we would be living a different way. And you cannot separate the works from the grace. The grace leads to works. And to put those intention for the one truth of his glory is what we're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. So I think that that's a, I always love that little, little story analogy thing that you have right there. It's super cool when you, when you put it like, when you put it to someone in that or present it to someone that way, it's like, yeah, I never really thought about it that way. But I think that's the, and and what we're dealing with now is the fruit of not actually living with that example put in front of us. We're just kind of take people at their their word for it. But Christ even said that a, a tree will be known by its fruit. And there's a lot of cool things that we can that we will get into about that. We've had numerous conversations about that all the way back in the garden and all those wonderful things. But before we get way too far off topic, which we are going to be prone to do, once again, we are super excited for you to be a part of this and um and to, and to join us in this. And we really, really hope and pray that God blesses this. Uh, and, he, and he's trying to rein it in, and, and I'm going to let him do it in just a second. But what I do need you to hear is okay. Jesus Christ came with the example of knowing who he was and why he was here. Mm. So he went around telling stories that people could understand as illustrations to understand that there are both Holyfield and Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was the bad guy because he bit his ear. Right. <laughs> Holyfield became the good guy, not because he was a good guy, but because he got his ear bit off. Correct. Now, I got ripped off $65 for the pay-per-view, <laughs> and like 36 seconds later, I'm like, are you kidding me? And Don King is smiling like a joker because he played everybody. So like in those illustrations, when I tell the story like that, you realize there's a power of the prince of the air that's trying to play everyone. And you can make someone look good and you can make someone look bad. And there's going to be this story of life. And the Bible is just that. It's not an instruction manual. It's not for you to go figure out how to do it on your own ability or else he's already, he's Don King smiling at you like you already lost. And 36 minutes later, you're like, I can't do this. And it's like, yeah, not that way. Yeah. Imagine that. So anyway, I'm going to let him reel us back in, but all of that is important because it's, I I love getting deep and I will go as deep as you want to go, but it doesn't matter if we cannot put it into a story that impacts everyone in the room, regardless of their age, regardless of their race, regardless of their their, no, their walk. It doesn't really matter. The truth is the truth, and we all should be able to attach to it. Absolutely. So um, right now, I think we're going to get into, since this being the first episode, I think it's very important that we establish some sort of type of um, relationship. So what we were going to do during this time is... Um, share our, our testimonies and what God has done and is doing in our lives. And hopefully it will be a blessing to you and an encouragement to keep tuning in and keep listening and actually be a part of it. And what I think is the, we want to be completely and totally transparent and, and upfront. These are like our underground mixtapes right now um, for the, for the podcast. We're just, we're, we've been planning for a couple months now, I think actually we've been planning for it. And 
uh, uh, Pastor Eric called me one day and he was like, "Dude, I'm I'm so sick of of planning and trying to do this and do that. Like, we just need to do it." And so I went back and I and I prayed. You know, I was, was kind of nervous about it and all that stuff. And and I realized that. Um, I can't remember if it was Dallas, a Dallas Willard book, or if it was um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or anything like that. You you go and you do, and as you are doing, the plan is given to you. So it's not this thing, it's not always you have every single duck in a row, and then you go and execute that thing. You learn most of, most of the things you learn are by doing trial and error and all that stuff. So have have patience with us if we if we get a little little sidetracked or anything like that. This thing will completely and totally take form and it's uh it's super cool and we're just like super super excited to to have this and to, to be given the opportunity to even um be partake in this thing man i'm just like super excited about it but with that my brother shares his personal story of how that conversation went with me and him and one of the gifts that god has given me is to be able to be the 13th disciple walking down the road, swatting flies and mad that there's dirt between my toes because they haven't been washed for a while. And what I, what I think of when he says that is, imagine being with Jesus Christ, walking for four days in between this town and the next town, and him teaching you and calling you into what you're going to share with others and preparing you to be able to walk and discipling you, which means allowing you to learn. And then you get to the city of Capernaum, and you're like, nah, I'm out. I'm not going in. Right? No, I mean, I, I enjoyed you, all of the information. I enjoyed all of, you know, you, you telling me what to do, but I, nah, I'm, I'm not going to go in and actually do it. Nah. No, I'm not, man, man. You guys mind. come back and tell me how it went. <laughs> and then Jesus looking at you the way that you would look at your children if they did that and like, are you really that simple? And there, there are places in the Bible Jesus says, are you really that little of faith? Are you really that slow? And grabbing you by the back of your ear and saying, no, you're going to go. And and that's what's stepping out inside of your personal walk at work, inside of your marriage, inside of your church family, inside of where you're at, inside of your own discipleship, reading those names of great theologians. It, it You have to add the movement. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, here we go. We, uh, we'll we get right into the testimonies. Do you... Uh... You want you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? How oh, absolutely, you, I, I, you go first. Do you want me to go first? All right, cool. I don't we'll want to do build that. any pressure or anything. No, man, the the pressure's already here. I'm just dealing with it now. <laughs> you know, just 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 living the dream, baby. Just living the dream. So I guess I should start. Well, I'll start at the beginning. I I remember being very young, and um, we didn't go to church a lot. We went to church every every now and then, I guess. And we would go on the on your what, what what is it what do you call them and they only go on like uh yeah, easter and christmas and uh there's like a slogan for them but i can't remember it's like holiday holiday or big event christians basically it's like here you go new year new year stuff like that you know it's like man god's gotta bless the new year you know uh type deal so or naturally i also noticed as i got older we went when my mom was going through like hardships is what it seemed like like it it made a lot of sense but you know i remember being in church getting my bible my first bible and all that and but i didn't really think much about it other than that it wasn't like a super super religious but you know god was talked about and then got involved in youth group um after we moved um and then so when, when i was going through going through all that but really that was just like a social hangout club thing it wasn't really anything that i actually ever considered i guess you like per se you know i would um probably the biggest thing was when i was 9 i was diagnosed with a heart condition 
And I was told, uh, you know, like, <laughs> imagine being nine, going to get a physical to play football, and this young doctor is like, your son has a, my mom didn't go, my dad had to take me. And the doctor was like, your son has a heart murmur, do you know that? And my dad was like, uh, yeah, he's had one his whole entire life, you know, this will grow out of it. And the doctor was like, he's nine, if he was going to grow out of it, he would have grown out of it by now, you need to go see a cardiologist. And I was like, okay, so... That's kind of weird. You know, I don't really know what's going on. I'll go to the cardiologist. And it turns out that I had a coarctation of the aorta valve, which now I know a lot of people don't know. And if you don't know, then this is what it is. The aorta valve is the valve that gives blood flow to your legs. And it's supposed to be the size of a garden hose. And mine was the size of a pencil eraser. So that being said, I had like this massive blood clot forming. Um, but because I was young, you know, it didn't really affect me as much, but they, I remember being told by the cardiologist as I'm sitting in the room and my mom's like, you know, has this super concerned look on her face and I'm just like looking around like, what is going on, dude? And then dude buddy just goes, yeah, he'd be like 28 or so or something like that and be out just playing basketball or something like that and drop, you know, just fall out dead, massive heart attack. And I was like, what? And I remember being in the van, going back home, mom sat in the back with me, my dad's a up front driving was a Mazda M MVP, I think was what it was. It was an old, I don't know. It was way long. It was back in the nineties. So anyway, I remember looking at my mom going like, "Do I have to have surgery again?" And my mom was like, "I'm afraid so, honey." And I was like, "I don't want to have surgery again. I hate having surgery. I had hernia surgery when I was younger as well too. So, but uh, probably one of like the biggest things in that time was I remember being laying down in the in in the hospital getting ready to have surgery and um it was i was looking at this bright light and had all these people coming up and they were putting stuff on me the nurse asked me do i want blue or pink and i was like duh blue um can't remember what she was hooking up to me but she hooked up something to me but i remember looking at this light and thinking to myself please god don't let this be the last thing that i ever see and it was like i didn't know how to process it at the time um but it was definitely the holy spirit and my i heard him say it won't be and then i woke up several hours later in a lot of pain looking over <laughs> at them operating on someone else because i didn't realize that they just like set you out like off to the side to wake up from the anesthesia just in case anything happened they could respond to you and all that good stuff and that whole thing happened so that was like my first time ever having like um an interaction with God, I guess. And then from, from then, you know, going on to youth group and all that stuff, didn't really put much thought into it and didn't really pay attention to the miracle that God had done. So I began playing in bands and I was, uh, a drummer. I was 17, like 17 or 18. I think I can't remember. I can't remember the exact age I was, but I was around that age and I was hanging out with people who were like 24, 25, 26, stuff like that. And there was this guy uh, named Kyle, and he was a super, super, super intelligent dude. Like, he had people from the University of Georgia come and study his brain when he was when he was younger. He was so smart. Like, figured out Windows and all this other stuff, computers, and it was just... So, I got to talking to him, and he was like, I, you know, I, I hear you say that you're, that, you, that, you're, that you're a Christian. And I was like, yeah. I was like, totally, you know? So he started drilling me on these all these questions and stuff like that, and I just kind of kept looking at him, going, I, "I don't know." And then, but I remember the I remember the pivotal point or the pivotal question that he asked me, which changed my my frame of thinking. Was he said, "Do you believe what you believe 
because you believe it, or do you believe it because your parents told you to believe it? And, like, that was his right hook. You know, you always tell me about the right hook. That was his right hook, and I was like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, I, I, I have my parents' faith. I don't have my own. And I think that it become in the back of my mind, I didn't really pay attention to what God had done, you know, but that's that thing. I wasn't actively living it, so obviously I wasn't going to pay attention to it. I wasn't going to use that as the route to push me forward. So I began reading a bunch of atheist books, and then as you could, and and the Bible also, uh, then became an atheist. And then after that, I uh, would go to parties and drinking, you know, smoked a lot of pot. Um, and after that, I would get into like debates with people who said like I would actively like while my friends were trying to hook up with chicks, I was trying to find people that believed in God so I could like have the discussion with them. I was like, how do you how do you reconcile Satan taking Jesus to the the highest mountain and showing him all the kingdoms? That says that like the earth's flat, you know, like how do you how do you justify that? And people would just like give up. They would not they did not want to go with me. They didn't want to argue with me or anything like that. So and that was when I was in Atlanta at college. It was like the third time I went to college. No, the second time I went to college. And um, so we, I remember one night, the the big change in my life came when my my grandmother had passed away, and that was the first time I ever saw somebody that I loved and like that poured into me. Saw them pass. I was robbed several times. Um, I was robbed once in like student housing. Then we moved out of student housing because because we were robbed. So then we went to an, an apartment like off campus and was robbed there too. It was like right after Christmas. I remember being home, getting a phone call that our stuff was missing. So, and basically sent me into like spiraling depression. It was just, it was too much. So I was in my apartment one night after um, like a weekend of partying or whatever. My roommate went to bed and I was just, I was literally done. Uh, I was, I was at the end of my rope. I was just absolutely done. And I, because I, I realized my reality was there was no point, there was no purpose in any of this. It was just, you're just existing, and then one day you die, and then nothing happens. So, I made up my mind that that's what I was going to do. I was going to end my life, and in like a last ditch effort, I started praying, and I was like, God, I, I know you don't have to tell me anything. I know I don't deserve it. I don't deserve an explanation or anything like that. But if there's no point and there's no purpose for me. I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm done. I'm ready to go on to the next thing. And the only way that I can describe it was uh, God basically came in that room and met me and cried like a baby, but it was like that good cry, you know, like where your mom holds you crying. <laughs> so it was like really good and I let a lot of that stuff go. But I wasn't changed like radically overnight, but I was delivered from my unbelief. So I remember going to another party like a couple weeks later. And my roommate comes up to me. He's like, oh, Mick, do the thing. Do the thing, man. Do the thing where you, like, tell him that God's not real and all that stuff. So I told my roommate, I was like, I, I, I can't. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I, I can't do it. He was like, well, well, why not, man? Like, you love to do this. And, da, da, da. and I was like, because I, I, I believe God is real. Uh, you know. And once again, I was delivered from my unbelief, but not a lot of the things that I was still stuck in, if you will, the sins I was still still stuck in. Came back home, uh, had several jobs, um, but eventually, roundabout, met my wife, and we were just friends. We spent an entire summer together, and uh, we liked each other so much that we um, 
made a life and we were going to do the right thing by getting married. Uh, easy to say that fell apart. Um, and the next time, so I began to read and study. And I remember when, when she left, um, I just like fell by my bed and I was just like crying. I was like, please don't let me lose my family. God, please don't let me lose my family. Holy Spirit pressed on my heart right there. He was like, you won't. And I was like, yes, all right, sweet. So it kind of, it comforted me in the sense, but then we, we, <laughs> we go forward into the future. We wind up getting completely and totally divorced. Um, I'm back in church serving on the, on the worship team, using the talents that God gave me for God. Uh, I even, like, I was the lead singer of a band and stuff like that, and I wrote songs, but I took a role just standing in the back playing guitar um, because God had, God had pretty much humbled me, you know, and I was like, who am I compared to you? And the other big thing that God pressed on me was, he said, you put my name on something the first time that I wasn't a part of, and I'm not going to bless something that I'm not a part of. You deceived yourself into thinking that I was a part of it by doing the right thing, but not doing it in the right relationship. It's not the right thing. So in taking care of in taking care of my daughter, picking her up and stuff like that, my wife's family members that were just, let's just say, because I love all of them, uh, but they were not fans of me. They did not agree with us getting married at the time. I will never forget my wife's aunt when I went to go pick up my daughter, I came up to me and she was crying. And I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. I've done something. But she said, I just want to apologize to you. I'm so sorry for judging you. I see the way that your daughter loves you. I see the way that you take care of her. And I did something that people have done to me and it wasn't right. And I'm, of course, you know, I forgave her, you know, and all that. And I was like, it's not a big deal. I mean, we didn't, we haven't spent any time together. Like we don't know each other really. So of course, I was like, I do it to people all the time. It's not like, you know, you're not, you're not doing something that I'm not guilty of myself. So my wife's aunt goes to my wife and says, you need to apologize to your husband. And Hannah, my wife was like, uh, he's not my husband. And my, and uh, her name is Miss Jill. She basically said, you need to go apologize to your husband. And so that was left there. I was getting ready to date another girl at the time. But I was praying, and I was like, God, is this, you know, our divorce had just become finalized, and I'd been waiting forever for this. I didn't, I, I tried to stay away from dating or anything like that, because I didn't, the lawyer was telling me it would look real bad if I was, if I was dating and all this stuff, and because the way that the laws are, you know, mom wins. So, I was like, is this the girl I'm supposed to date? And the Holy Spirit was just like, go talk to your wife. I was like, no, 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 see, it's, it's, it's good, like, we don't have to talk, like, I forgave her, you know, and all that, like, I don't want to talk to her. Go talk to your wife. I don't want to go talk to my wife, man. Like, no, I'm I'm good. Then right hook got hit with the right. Hook. Go listen. And I was like, go listen. What do you mean? She texts me that night or maybe the next day and says, I'd really like to sit down and talk with you, if that's okay. And I was like, I really don't want to talk, but I'll listen to you. And I was doing my best in all of my <laughs> in all of my flesh because it's you know it's sensitive, right? So. Go and I talk to her, and I, I go and I sit, you know, we're standing in her driveway, and she just gives me the apology that I had been waiting for forever, and just opened that back up. And it turned into, of course, me talking more than her talking, because there was so much that I just wanted to get off, get off my chest, you know, and like air out in a sense that 
I'm not doing it maliciously anymore. I'm doing it because we need to have the conversation. So we had that conversation and it ended with her saying, I just want to be married to you and raise our family. So we began dating again. Uh, I think it was like eight days after we got officially divorced. We were back together. I caught a lot of flack from everybody. They were like, dude, who does that? That is so stupid. Why would you do that? And I was like, I mean, I can't really argue with God. I mean, I've tried. I've done it several times in my life before, and it's never worked out in my favor. I don't know if you've ever tried to arm wrestle God, but it he wins, hands down. So we go, we get married again. And I remember the, the pastor that married us, he was like, you know, why do you want to get married so fast? Why do you want to get married so fast? And I remember telling him, like, because I want to be with her, and I know that her staying with me and my daughter in the same house, not married, is wrong. And so we got married. And then we fumbled our way through everything. And now, by God's grace, we have three beautiful children. We have two girls and one boy. We even have a dog. So, like, we're the, you know, all that in a bag of chips. And uh, now we serve at uh, a new church. And uh, we left a charismatic church because as my relationship began to grow with God, I just saw things and I was asking questions and you know, petitioning for a long time. I served that. I served my purpose there. God said that I could leave, and I was like, "Sweet!" And in the moment that I could, that I could leave, it was like one second later. I was like, "Well, now what?" So it was it was really interesting to be doing it for an entire year, wanting to leave, and then I get my answer, and out of nowhere, like in that second, I I'm like, "Okay, well, now what?" So I was absolutely terrified. So we left, and we. I told my I told my wife Hannah I said well, let's just take a I just want to take a break I kind of want to reset we've been serving you know everything else that's gone on you know I just kind of just need like a little reset and uh, believe at this time it wasn't much longer than this that you called me right wasn't that wasn't that right I don't think I'd huh break oh yeah 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 so you 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 ran up to um you ran into my dad at a uh, what was it? Small group. Small group, that's right. And uh, you were telling about how I left the church because I did not agree theologically with some of the songs that we were singing, <laughs> and which was a huge deal. And it wasn't like I, <clears throat> it wasn't like I told people that they couldn't sing the songs. It was the Reckless Love was the one that I became kind of, I kind of dug my heels in on that song. And I even changed it. I changed the words to it. I was like, I don't, you know, one of the guys asked me, he was like, well, can I sing it? And I was like, I don't, it doesn't bother me if you sing it. I don't have to answer for it. You do. But as a, uh, as a worship leader, I don't feel comfortable and I do not feel like reckless love is an attribute of God. Reckless means doing things without any plan or anything like that. You're just doing it to do it. And I've done that my whole life. If anything, God's love is precious, and it should be precious to us. So that's what I turned it into. It works really well. Even if you sing it, if you haven't, I challenge you to try and do it because it sounds so good, and it means so much more to me. Anyway, so we began talking, and I think what was what was your response to him? He was like, oh, I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of a worship leader taking a stand on a song before. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for in a worship leader is someone that sticks to the word. Words matter. And when we go to the doctrine, it should be the same for a music minister as it is to a minister of the word. I was excited to hear someone holding themselves inside of the value and the preciousness of God. Right. So, and then when we, 
So then we had many, many, many conversations, and uh, I think it was just come to just just come to our church and help us out because we don't even have a worship leader. So I, I I heard your I heard your heart cry, and I was like, oh man. So I I guess convicted in a sense because I was I told I told Hannah I was I have to go like I have to go help at least like I don't I don't want to I, I think I told you from the outset that I didn't want to commit to anything. I was like I'm not I'm not coming there and I'm gonna be the dude. I'll help you for like two or three weeks. You know, I'll fill in a little, a little spot. I remember being there the first or second time I was there, Steve comes up to me and he goes, Hey man, if, uh, if you leave, I'll break your legs. <laughs> and, and Steve has that, you know, I mean, Steve has that demeanor. Like I, he's like one of those dudes. If he tells you, it, he's like Bruce Willis in a movie. He's like, you know, you touch me again, I'll kill you. And then Dubai touches him, and then he kills him. You know, I was like, yeah, nah, I, I totally believe this guy. I'm definitely not going to try him up. You know, he does, he does not look like the one to to mess around with. Legs are important. <clears throat> they are important. I, and I enjoy walking. I'm not very I'm not very tall, so the last thing I want to do is take, like, an, take the little bit that I have and then cut that in half. Um, so, yeah, so then after that, we just basically started going to church there, and then what was in conversations with you have been, you know, shared my um, calling that God has given me to to one day preach the word. And so then I've now stepped into the worship leader and youth pastor position at Cedar Creek. And it has been an absolute blessing. God has sent some of my uh, brothers and sisters from the previous church that I was at. He has called, called them away and now they're joining me up there. And it's just like super exciting to go. And then, but I realized in that moment also now talking about it and going over it again, I realized that in the doing, the plan is given to you. And a lot of times where I messed up was, is I was like, I gotta have a plan. Like if I don't have a plan and I don't got, if I don't know what the plan is, like I'm like, I'm a part of the head as well. That's where that's where a lot of people get messed up, I think, and that's why I wanted wanted to share that 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 tidbit of information is because go and do, and then it will be laid out before you. You know, your steps have already been established, so I think that was super cool. But that is that's a little bit a little bit about where I've been and what God is doing in my life, and it's super awesome. And just constantly sitting in front of great theologians and conversations with you, um, it. I see the I see the need for it and realize now that I needed it way more than I thought. I was really underselling it. I was thinking, you know, like and this this is a challenge to the person who says I don't need to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Um yeah, dude, me too. Like I'm a hypocrite also. Like I I definitely still struggle. It's I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Oh, I don't see anymore. Definitely don't have it. don't have, have that problem." You know, cuz the only reason that we have anything that we have is because God has given it to us so graciously and also it concerns me too at the same time that people aren't doing anything with it and i've seen seen spots in the scripture where it says if you don't do anything with it dude like there's there's repercussions for that it's not just this well i'm good that's it that's fine i, I, I settled my thing with you know I, my wife reminds me constantly <laughs> i'm, I'm kind of one of those dudes that like i don't tell her enough that I love her and I think she's beautiful and I do think those things. It's not that I don't think those things, but in not saying it and not doing it, it creates that separation. And in not spending time with my kids, when I hear my kids say something like, "All I'm trying to do is spend time with you," and I'm like, "Oh, I get it." And it's and God uses people in our lives to show us our blind spots. And if you don't have that, 
you're never gonna know where you're, what you're missing, man. You like you have to, and that's where that's where we're getting back to not being passive members but active participants. So it's super awesome. And yeah, I don't want to sit here and talk all day, man. I bet I bet yours is good too. I bet yours is like super good. And I've never heard it before, so like I'm super excited to hear it. And we actually were like going, go. <laughs> we went through it a little bit earlier, and we had this massive discussion about what words could be said and what words could not be said. <laughs> so, just a, a preface before he gets into it and all of that. Like words definitely matter for sure, but just like God is not afraid of our questions, He's definitely not afraid of our words. So. You know, we don't, it's not our intention to offend anybody, but if you are offended by something that's said, I can pretty much personally guarantee you that as Eric and I go in these conversations, you will be way more offended later. Yeah. Probably not for the reasons that you're thinking, probably not for the reasons that you're thinking, but I, I guarantee it's going to happen. But I don't know. I mean, God stepped on my toes all the time and I don't understand like you have to meet it head on and that's what I mean circling back to the tension in general this podcast I mean that is sort of like the point right we're gonna cut you off when you start saying circling back <laughs> all right so or the new norm or, or anything else that you may hear on CNN or Fox so anyway when we talk about being offended I'm offended all the time and that's how I grow and I have to be willing to be offended. And when you talk about being a hypocrite coming to church, if you actually read your Bible, Jesus is like, yeah, so stop being one. Um, <laughs> stop wearing a mask. Start figuring out who you are. And you can't do that by yourself. And that's what I'm inviting the body into is somewhere to come that you do feel that you're loved, even though you're different, that you can be offended because there's a greater purpose. And you can have these conversations that start to set up a worldview that, that actually matters and, and can um, reveal the rest of your story after the fact that he's transformed your heart. So you don't do it for the transformed heart. You do it out of the transformed heart. And without getting into all that, today is just about yeah, yeah, testimonies. Absolutely. It's kind of what's been put in front of me. So that once again, how, how old are you, Mick? I am 33. Right. I will be 30. Yeah, I'll be 34 on the 11th of this so i month. just googled mine and i am 47 years eight months three years and five days old just, yeah, okay. the reason i even mention that is a frame of reference you know if i start talking about mike tyson and evander holyfield and you don't know who those people are you might have to go look them up and and, and yeah, that's fine um however with my 47 years i've got a longer testimony but ultimately when when my, when I get the opportunity to tell my testimony, it would really be dictated by the type of person that I'm talking to or the place that they I find them at when I share it. I normally oh, share my lost stages more than my saved stages because once we're saved, it's like, yeah, and then the rest of the story is falling in love with God. But ultimately, when we get started, um, I was definitely the, uh, the cocky and prideful jock inside of school. I thought way too much of myself. Um, I had my clique of friends. I, I grew up in Hollywood, Florida. I, however, we moved here when I was in seventh grade. So from Seventh grade to, you know, graduating, I was here in Madison County, which is a rural place in the state of Georgia. And that's where I say I actually grew up. Because, I mean, that's when you find out who you actually are and, you, you right. know, you get into sports for the first time and you, you go to your formative years of education and then you get the freedom of being able to drive and all of the responsibility and the mess ups in that process are, are really where you start to form 
who you are. And I guess all I can say is when I talk to people that knew me in high school, they're the ones that see the greatest change because, like I said, I was very, very full of myself. I was very, very able to do the things that others couldn't. Um, I found my identity in that, and it isolated me. And I guess that's the importance that I want to draw out there because in between my junior and senior year of, of high school, I went into the military. And the reason I went into the military was to prove my value or worth to the girl that was a three-year long-term relationship and she like made straight A's and if I got a 72 that was a win like I can remember her like taking calculus and me taking like algebra one for the second year and, and then standing out by the water fountain her like crying like physically crying and it's like what is wrong she's like I got a 98 and I'm like yeah but I got a 72 baby and, and, and so but ultimately I was street smart common sense prideful protector provider she was book smart and 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 the two together i wanted to continue that forward and ultimately when me and her broke up you need to understand there was really we never fought about anything that i can remember i mean she may have a different side of that but i literally do not remember an argument and we broke up because she had a brain to go to college and I had joined the military trying to prove to her mom that I was good enough. And now I had to go into the military, you know? And, and so the blizzard of 93 was in my senior year. Um, so my dad worked out of town. My parents divorced when I was in those formative years, I'll say right around ninth grade. So when everybody moved, it was just me and my dad from ninth grade to 12th grade. He worked out of town. Um, I went to school. I had my own job. My dad, when he bought a vehicle, it was you either pay the car payment or you pay the insurance. And at the time, it was a GT Turbo Probe, and the car payment was cheaper than the insurance, um, but just because of what kind of car it was. Uh, Absolutely. Fed into the pride, fed into the look, fed into, but I, I made my own money. I bought my own way, fed into the pride, fed into the look. Um, You're a bad man. I, well, I, in my own mind. I was very, very <laughs> deceived, but in my own mind. You were, you were like, you were it, buddy. I, I can remember my dad pulling up with the, the, the probe, and it was a five-speed stick. And he, I'd never driven one, and he came in through the keys on the counter. He's like, well, there's your car. You're paying for it. And I was like, I don't know how to drive a stick. And you're like, well, Learn. it's in the yard. <laughs> so me and my buddy went to Athens that night, and it's just a, a town full of hills. So I, I remember like two and a half weeks later, this is just the way me and my dad got down. I came in, I threw the keys in front of him and said, I need two front tires. And he's like, why? Because I learned how to drive a stick. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to go backwards. So everywhere I went, I lit up the tires. You know. So I, ultimately, though, I, I thought that I could do everything myself. I thought that I was a self-made man. In between my junior and senior year, I did go to basic training for 10 weeks. And my senior year, I don't think I had an enemy. And what happened the most is when I went to basic training, and once again, losses a day is long. This isn't about the God side. It's, it's about the natural side of most kids that don't know what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And say you have a lot of attributes and abilities, what's well, going to lead to pride and, and, and overcompensating. It, well, dude, like that time, like that time in life is like the, the weirdest time in life. Like, and I feel like everybody knows that like older people know that but they honestly in a sense they forget what it's like to be in that mindset in that time like someone coming to you and telling you you need to figure out your entire life you need to figure out the next 10 years of your life you need to figure out right now like that's the kind of the pressure that i felt in a sense my mom was definitely like you're gonna go to college and i was like but i don't really like want to go to college and she was like no you're gonna go to college 
And then that, so that being like thrown into my brain, eventually I made a plan that I really didn't want. And I ended up getting into these situations that I really didn't need. Absolutely. And, you know, suffering for it now, I think we need to pay a little bit more attention to like, excuse me, where people are currently, you know, being a little bit more sympathetic or, or empathetic with, with them and where they are right now, like looking backwards, you know, and especially trying to reach people where they're at. You, you can't just give them the, you need to do this. And if you do this, then, you, then it'll all, it'll all be figured out. Cause that's not really, I think, I think we miss, we miss a, like a huge, huge part of what's going on with that person. And, and, and thinking that out, two facets of that is that, that come to mind. In other words, the two that's, that, that God's given me right now to, to make sure that I address is youth is fine for going on trips and events to invite others to be able to spend quality time on things that are age-specific. However, right. when you separate the body, you lose the ability for the adults to keep a finger on the heartbeat of where the kids are at, and the kids don't feel like, I mean, the one person you weren't going to listen to were your parents. The, the, oh, the reason yeah, that you've got other voices inside the body is so that, I mean, I could drop my son off later on in life and he would cut the grass for his girlfriend. And I've been begging him for three months to cut the grass <laughs> while I'm at work for 24 hours. But he would yeah. do it in different scenarios because he had in a different goal, a different agenda, a freshness, a, a ability to find out who he is. But absolutely, the, the people that are in every different stage of life come together as a body to be heard it's just like if somebody came to the front of a small rural church and said their child was struggling with homosexuality most people wouldn't know what to say even though they love the individuals and want to say something that would be productive because they they they've never been in that scenario they've never seen it that way and until we change and revert church to being about relationships of Everyone there being just as important, walking towards one goal to where no matter how different the culture has become from the teenager today and the 47-year-old that I am and the 60-year-old to where when I tell kids I'm older than Google, they're like, do what? They, they don't even realize that that's a possibility. But in my life, I mean, we shot pool because Atari stunk. But... At the same time, Atari was awesome because there was nothing to compare it to. Yeah. And, and there's been yeah, a lot absolutely. of things that have changed with the high-speed internet and the amount of information. And as learners, as disciples, we've got to figure out ways to encourage everyone to be a learner disciple where they are in life. And at that age group, it was awkward because I did not have a community to talk to. I did not have a wisdom structure around me. We got all the knowledge in the world, but the knowledge overwhelms us because we've got no one saying, okay, but what does that look like if you walk it out for five years, 10 years? What does that look like if that's the career that you choose? Inside of that time in life, I thought the best thing I could do is like, you know, America, I'm going to join the military and I, I can pay for college and it's going to make the girlfriend's mom think highly of me and everybody's going to be happy with me. Now, what did happen in 93 is the the the, the blizzard of 93 happened. I a remember tree, that. Yeah, a tree fell in my dad's shed. I worked at, um, well, I worked two jobs all the way through high school. I worked at Pizza Hut and I closed so that I could drink beer after everybody left. And <laughs> I worked at Ingalls because, I mean, once again, it, it, was, it was just another job to be able to make a little bit of money. That's right. And I was taught by my father that as long as you're making money, you have value. So it was always over other people's opinion. It was always over stroking the pride that was at the core of my heart, which was my self-value and, and, and who I thought I was. 
and I walked into arrogance that drove people away. I went in the military. They broke me and showed me that at 17 years old, I am absolutely just one grain of sand on a seashore. Your opinion does not matter. If I want it, I'll ask you for it. Came <laughs> back my senior year, and I had no enemies because I didn't get caught up in the games that other kids were still learning it their senior year that I had been taught just because I went somewhere that people were willing to drive some discipline and answer those questions with truth, that it changed the trajectory of my life. Now, with that said, my senior year, the storm happens. My dad kicks me out of the house because he was home and he felt like I didn't get up to help, which I had worked all night and just got home. So I have my point of view of what happened. He has his point of view of what happened. He kicks me out of the house maybe four or five months before I graduate. So you're talking November, December, January, whenever that storm happened, we graduated that May. And so now I'm without a house. My girlfriend is going into college and I have to go to the military because that's the contract that I signed. Um, <laughs> life starts to really take a trajectory that's not in my control, showed me that I didn't have all this false ability, showed me that my pride was broken, found myself in a place that I believe when we talk about salvation, you have to come to to where you actually need the relationship of God. You actually need the answers that he gives. And and, and so ultimately that, that happened at that point. Now, I'm way too hard-headed to actually submit at that point, but that God had done that at that age, and once again, through the ashes, moved in with mom, kind of, you know, did, treaded a little water, found out that I could get a GED that week. So literally a tree fell on my dad's shed like that weekend. We went back to school maybe a week later. Um, by the end of that first week, I had my GED and was already ready to go to AIT in the military. And I was like, well, heck with high school. I'll just go this direction. Right. So go to my job training for the military without getting caught in, in, in the trees instead of the forest, met my current wife now, been married, we're going on 28 years. As a young man that was at least broken enough to enter into a relationship, but then young enough to pick his old pride back up as soon as things started going his way. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Amanda, too. Work, work different jobs. Um realized that you know i did not want to do what my father had done yeah um that's good and 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 there are plenty of lessons there but they were all you know selfish lessons uh amanda my wife amanda came down with some medical conditions that once again i could go active duty instead of going to reserve to go to school went active duty um as a young man i went into the military i was you know doing real well in the military and until I progressed too fast because you have to remember I, I was in since 17. I went to the the reserve unit my senior year. By the time I went to AIT to go to my job training, I was already in E4. Well, when I went to MEPS, traditionally they say, hey, you got to drop a rank because you're reserves, you're going active, you're not as trained as an active duty person to where if you were active duty and you're going to reserves, you gain a rank because wow. I mean, you've actually been doing it every day. Like today, I'm a career firefighter that if you're a volunteer, you may have been a volunteer for 10 years, right. but you're not a career firefighter that trains on 192 hours every year, every day you go to work. Yeah. So there's just a difference there. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, I won't go then. So they're like, oh, well, let, let us. So once again, my prideful way, manipulating my way through life. I pushed the issue. I got what yeah. I thought I wanted. There we go. But 
the world knew exactly how he was doping me up and rope a dope, and it, it had its right hook. Oh, so absolutely. They came in. They were like, "Okay, Keith, so you can keep your rank at E4, but you got to go to Korea." I was like, "Nope, I'm out on that. I got a job. I'll just go back to that." And they're like, "Oh wait, let us go back in and do some." <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm thinking like, whatever, I'm done. And they come out and they're like, "Okay, so what if you can keep your E4 and you go to Fort Stewart, Savannah?" Okay, I'll sign that. What they didn't let you know is it's a revolving door to Korea. So you can either go to Korea and then back to Savannah or you go to Savannah and then to Korea. So they knew what they were doing. I have no idea, but I think I'm in control. So I get to Savannah and the next thing you know, when they when they expect an E4, they expect a team leader. Yeah. Um, I'm an 18-year-old kid that just got out of training. I'm not what they expected. And for the first time in my life, at that age, 18 years old, put in a position that I should not be in, I was at the first time not good enough for the life that I found myself in and it it, it sent me in a spiral um, to the point where I mean today whether it, it's the fire department or water treatment I don't want to be somewhere I'm not prepared I'd rather go slower than faster to be what I'm supposed to be when I get there than trying to be something I'm not right um, I did learn that lesson lost as a day is long I, I learned that I did not want to be there so ultimately fast forwarding through the military we you know not being good enough, you kind of fall over to the people that aren't good enough. And, you know, we, we, we did a lot of partying and, and, and a lot of different things. Get out. Um, when I first got out of the military, it was because I was at the end of that enlistment period that my firstborn daughter was about to be born. Um, we got out, moved out from the military into my dad's trailer. All of them, uh, Sam's baby stuff and the house burned down. So like house burned down to the point where they thought I was in the house. The only thing I had on, the only thing I owned was the clothes that I had on and the truck. And I had to borrow a pair of steel toe boots because of the job that I got from a next door neighbor, I wear 10s and he wears 13s. So it was like Ronald McDonald going to work the first day. Cause I had these boots on that were like, they were like skis. <laughs> However, I lost everything that I owned to fire. Yeah. Um, and I lost everything that I owned to water in Hurricane Katrina. So both times I've oh, lost wow. everything to my name. The first time you lose your pictures and your memorabilia and all of my football cards and the things that I thought mattered. Um, however, the biggest thing that's pulled out of this moment is when that house fire happens, I'm still the provider. I'm still the protector. I've got a newborn baby. We yeah. no longer have cribs or diapers or anything. There was a place, I mean, it's closed now, so I guess I can use it. Trust Joy McMillan is a wood plant that was on 72. I got a job there making $8.17 an hour, and they said they didn't have any overtime. Well, I would show up with my hard hat and just sit on the front deck, like from first, from when we got there to first break, just to, just to say, I'm here if you want to go home. You know, well, it's 100 and something degrees in the wood plant. There was a parallel plant. So eventually somebody would see me sitting there and like, well, I'm going home if you're going to be here. Within three months, I could work in any department throughout the plant. I showed up every day, worked as many hours as I could. Well, while I was there, I was introduced to speed. And once again, I used it as a tool to be able to enable me to work all the time that I was working. And I used it as a tool once I caught up with life, kind of found a foundation. It was something I did on the weekends. Same thing most people do with alcohol or whatever. I mean, so Friday and Saturday and Sunday, you know, I, I would do, the, you know, crank at that time. It was before methamphetamine was known as, you know, crystal or ice or anything like that. And ultimately, though, I, I, I did it and could justify it that I was doing it for my family and I was doing it for this good reason. And and, and ultimately, I, I did now. I, I, I paid all the bills and I, I did what I had to do with it. 
then it became more than just a weekend and, and where I used it as a tool that used me as a tool over time. Um, also, I mean, when you make those kind of decisions, it's not just what you do, but the community that you get around. And that's right. also a, a reason that God calls us to the gathering of saints is if you gather with like-minded people, you're going to find yourself in like-minded situations. Yeah. Um, and once again, as, as I say that, um, somebody that loved me through this whole process was actually the guy that I, 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 I knew that um, dealt it. And I guess I can't use that name, but multiple times through the process, he would look at me and say, dude, you, you shouldn't be here. You, you should be doing something better with your life. Mm. And, uh, and I love him and, 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 and it breaks my heart that, you know, once again, I, when I, when I got, when I, when God did change my heart, I cleaned up for a while. I, I led celebrate recovery for a while. And I would always encourage people not to go back into that environment for at least a year. That way you had the four seasons. And, and when I went back, I saw it with totally new eyes, but you can't change people's hearts. You can only fall in love with what God's given you that you didn't deserve and then love yeah. them where they're at. And, and those lessons come from that house fire was when I thought I could justify the change in actions because it was allowing me to do something that was honorable, but that honorable thing became dishonorable when it became just about self-worship, self-gratification. Uh, self and, and, and these things happen without you even realizing they're doing it. And especially oh, when you're 100%. isolated to the, just that community, yeah, you, you really don't have anybody talking into your life. And at this point no. in time, m my father, they grew up doing cocaine. Well, cocaine was a heck of a drug. Yeah. All right. Now... It's a rich white person drug. When you have speed that comes in and then becomes ice and you're used to doing just a few lines of this you end up being hooked on that and and i watched it consume my father that was my foundation at the time i've got children at this point just one that that i'm trying to raise i'm working all the time who are you to tell me what i do with my money if you've got two vehicles and the kids are dressed and there's food in the refrigerator I built this house. I, I, I did this. And so I flare back up into that prideful, who are you to tell me how to live my life? And God had to break that. And that's going to be why Hurricane Katrina happens because on the backside of that, I, I could get into the, the, the thickets of all the details and everything else. And I had near death experiences on that side, which, which once again, I, I, I did do a line one time that was laced with hair and didn't know it. And, and I remember turning around and it was like, I left my body and I, I was hovering, looking at myself seated there, seated there. What? And the person that I'm talking about that I know loved me, that wanted me not to be in that situation. He saw what happened and he knew what it was laced with that I didn't know. And he literally, I saw him crawl up to me as I'm floating out of the room. And he goes, are you all right? And it was like, I sucked back <laughs> in my body, like backwards like this. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm okay. Now, ultimately. That's wild. It, but it's, it's something that happened to me. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. But it's exactly what happened to me. It was very peaceful. It wasn't right. wicked or anything else. And I was lost. So I don't know what you do with that. I don't know what I do with that. But I do know that yeah. that happened to me to where when I hear other people have those experiences, I don't have to pretend like it doesn't happen. However, still hard-headed, didn't stop doing it. And then you look at people like, why don't they just stop? There's way more involved than, than you can imagine. And long it, story short, yeah, want to get out of it, want to straighten up, get better jobs. If you pay me $2 more an hour, I would get a job with you because my dad always taught you and taught me that you're worth whatever you get paid. And, and I chased the dollar. And so I went from one great paying company to another great paying company until I just realized all I'm doing is supplying myself with things that are killing me. Yeah. 
I would walk away. They knew that I was someone that had money and paid because I had a job. So they'd show up with the freebies. And oh, there yeah. was there was a process of that being sucked back in and knowing. So here's when I get to celebrate recovery and I look back over what God has allowed me to do and things that like people that don't understand and say, hey, you should have just done this or done that. There's a couple things that I've learned that make it makes sense, at least on the, 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 the surface. In Vietnam, we dropped men into a jungle and they chased each other around like animals to live or die. And then you take them out of that and say, be normal. Just just, just <laughs> like, be normal. In what world is that going to happen? In what world are you going to drop somebody into a, like an animalistic environment and then pull them out of it and go, hey, uh, be normal? Like, what do you mean? I've been doing everything that's like not not normal to like what is normal now that you now that you even want to talk about it. It opens up like this whole other whole other thing. And I like I I mean I have sympathy for a lot of those people that you and know part of your brain has been opened that the person talking to you has no idea what they're yeah, talking to you about because yeah. they're telling you that by saying just say no. <laughs> it's like okay, dude, I, I don't think you understand all the dynamics. Oh yeah, you gotta just just say no. I just say no. It's like uh, okay, I, I, I there's there's a story, and that's why the yeah. story becomes so important later on. That the Vietnam vet has that opened in his mind, and even if he comes home and he does make the process of change, it's lying in wait. Yeah. So here's the danger with anyone coming out of addiction and not trying to super, you know, you know, cover it over with sugar. If you don't settle that you love someone more than yourself, mm. that bad day is coming. Oh, yeah. The phone call where a child has died or your wife yeah. has died or you've been cheating on for 10 years or you just lost your job or whatever it is. And there's a place in your mind that says, I don't even want to live anymore. I know what will make this go away. Mm -hmm. And then you'll say, no, no, but that's a lie. And you're going to say, I don't care if it's a lie. It'll make it go away right now. I'll deal with that tomorrow. And you're going to go right back to the drug because that's why you were doing it in the first place. You, you were coping. You were trying to find your glory that God created you for, but you were doing uh, it in a way that was self-serving. Oh, yeah. So Dude, when, when, when you boil that down... We need to be honest about those things. Yes. At this point in time, all I know is I need to get out of here. My battle buddies all moved down to Louisiana. We would go down there for Mardi Gras because, once again, that's what we did. And I worked at a place that got a bonus check, and we would just go down there and have a blast. Yeah. But while I was down there, I was also a crane operator, and that's where you go down. They were using the same portal cranes of the job that I had. They were paying like four times the amount that I was paying. All of my battle buddies moved down there all on one street. Um, so it was like... So you like have that community there, plus it's something you're already doing, and it kind of just makes sense at the time. And I'm not best friends with the dealer that loves me, <laughs> and, 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 and I can get to where, hey, I'm going to start new. I'm going to start fresh. Right. I'm, I'm going to separate myself from it. It's yeah. the only way that I'm going to be able to do it. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, you got you to gotta suck yourself out of it a little bit. So you had the people, you had, you had the community, and it also got you away from the thing that you were dealing with. So it was like a... It was like, why not? Like, this is definitely like, I need to do this right here. Like, this is going to help for sure. And say that possession to me is when you get high to be normal. Mm. So at the point where I'm saying I have to move to my battle buddies, which have always said, hey, man, if you need us, move down here. We've got you. It's when you get high 
to think I've got to stop doing this or else I'm letting my family down and I'm going to die. You're not getting high anymore. That's to be normal. And then as soon as you yeah. stop being high, normal, right. you have this hunger and thirst that drives you. So when Jesus says you should hunger and thirst for righteousness, I know exactly what that is on the other side. But it makes me love the truth of what he's sharing because I have experienced on the other side. And a lot of people that have never experienced it on the other side can't really appreciate the invitation of doing it for the right way and having that same hunger and thirst and filling that 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 love of self with the love of God and finding a right relationship that makes things have a foundation versus every time you wake up, your foundation is gone. So you have to find a way to make it go away that day. Addiction is possession. Addiction is where you no longer have control of yourself because there's a spirit that controls you, and mm-hmm. it's the spirit of self. And 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 ultimately, I mean, I, f- I find these answers later on, and, and, and there's so much that happens right here in this time period, but we move down to Slidell, Louisiana. I detox, and literally, I do know that I went into the bedroom on a Tuesday. I would wake up. I would see light. I would be dizzy. I would be drenched in sweat. And then I woke up and it was Friday night. So I was there from Tuesday night to Friday night in a room all by myself in the dark. I guess they fed me. I don't remember that part, but it was, I could have died. And I've helped other people detox. I've walked with them. I've seen what it looks like from the outside looking in, but I had to realize I needed to do it enough and then actually do it first so that God could use my effort to then lead me into the next thing. Now, so you're like literally spending, you said Friday to Tuesday, right? Tuesday to Friday. Tuesday to Friday. Okay. Tuesday to Friday. So like Tuesday to Friday, you're literally in a room fighting for your life back. We're fighting, fighting to get your life back. I was in and out of coherence. It was, I, I don't remember any of it other than clips. And like I said, I, I can remember there being light coming through the blinds. I can remember spinning room headache. I can remember passing back out. I can remember waking up in the sheets and myself being drenched in sweat. I, I I just remember on Friday night after a Tuesday night, it took me that 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 long, and I arose from the room. Um, wow. And all I wanted to do then was get to work because, you know, I didn't want to be the leech to my buddies. I didn't want to be the yeah. burden to those that allowed me to move down yeah, there. Yeah. You've got my stuff in their house and their house and my stuff and their kids and my kids and right. in, in a normal-sized room. And, and I love the people that were loving me. And, and once again, it started a whole nother thing of – trying to get a job and couldn't mm-hmm. um getting a job there, there's so many things that happen there that aren't in, that that are important but aren't important for where i'm going okay all of this leads up to a point where through different jobs different opportunities and there's tons of miracles there also but the one that'll get us to to move forward because of time is i go into a place named marine and uh, mainland um they were a crane mechanic company they were an offshore company the whole time you're there because i could not get the license uh, to be able to be the crane operator that i thought that i could be you had to get a state license and it was going to cost like 15 grand well coming out of addiction and just going down there i did not have this fifteen thousand dollars so ultimately my plan had to shift and i literally walked into marina mainland blake was the owner chris was the, the guy that knew everything and chris met me at the door and chris was not blake and chris was like well i don't know what you're doing here if you ain't got no experience i was like i all I'm saying is I need some kind of shot. Well, Blake comes out, and I was like, so you're the owner. And he's like, yeah. I was like, I just need to ask you a question. So I went in his office. He's like, go ahead. And I was like, here's the thing. I was a crane operator. Mm-hmm. Every week, we did crane maintenance. Right. I know what things do, yeah. but I don't know what they're called. So, I mean, <laughs> I've done it, and, and, and I understand the mechanics of it. But, I mean, am I a mechanic? No. 
but I'm a fast learner. All I need is a shot. And if you put me in the back, just see what I can do. Pay me half of what you normally pay. Yeah. I just need a job moving towards getting offshore because that's where the money's at. Yeah, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play, man. So he puts me in the back of the shop. I'm in there maybe six weeks. And the yeah. next thing I know, I'm supposedly an offshore crane mechanic going on a helicopter out by myself. And I don't even know what things are called. I know what they do. And I've proven that I, I, I can do that. Right. But now you're sending me out to where I have to order parts that I don't know what they're yeah. called. So anyway. It's a dope title, though. It is. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm once again, I'm in the situation of having a title that I should not have because yeah. I move too fast because of my abilities. My abilities have never been my problem. Uh, my go. pride has always been yeah. my problem. So right back to it so once again and and and, and of course the, the kingdom of darkness is always going to try and stroke your abilities to keep you from the inner transformation i get out i get out offshore and, and and there's tons of stories in between this but i get offshore the first time i get out there and i'm drawing little pictures on my little pad and then i have to like fax them in and you know i am a computer oh, so yeah. i don't know how to do that either You're terrible with so, computers. so anyway i get out there and this this crane doesn't have a motor and I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's only like three of these in the United States. And I'm like, and this is my first job. Great. Yay. So it's all hydraulically driven. And, oh, and I, I, I'm tired. And I'm like, man, I got to call Chris because Chris knows everything, right? Right. And Chris is, I, I could call Chris and I'd be like, hey, man, there's this and this and this. He's like, don't you know there's 1,200 milli- uh, 1, GPM per second? It's like, no, man. I, no. I was a jockey. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I had fun in high school. I, I, didn't, I didn't sit around and figure <laughs> out gallons per minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, you know, that's yeah. just not the way it is. Yeah. So I remember going out there and I made up like this because they got the maintenance department. And when I right. get out there, you got to remember, I'm the crane mechanic third party. So they got boats floating around the bottom and they can't get any food. Cause the way a, a crane, a, a way the crane works on a oil rig is it pulls everything up to the top. And like ants, you take it all down and disseminate it throughout the, the different okay. levels. Yeah. So when you get there, there's like boats and everybody's starving and eating Wonder Bread. And they're like, whatever you say, we'll do. And you're like, God, you're like... <laughs> And so I go out there, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do right now. So I Where go out there and I just I? make up something. I'm like, I need a 12-foot I-beam right here so that I can get a hoist. And I was like, that'll, you know, eight hours at least. Yeah. So I go to my room and like 35 minutes later, like, we've got that done. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> this is not working. Once again, the story gets better and better. And there's all kinds of stuff that I, I can I can usually <laughs> fist through life. Right. I put it together drawing pictures, and it ran. I was like, what? What? <laughs> Everybody awesome. was surprised, including me. I was like, yeah. Did you like, what? Well, I got to ask, though. Did you like play it cool, though? Did you play it cool? Like, oh, man, I totally knew that was going to work, too. Like, don't doubt me. Well, I was or, in a situation or, or, I couldn't let it say, everybody see the truth. Yeah, I played it off pretty okay, well. Right, oh yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So, so long story short, that was my first job, and then it's like, wait, this kid's—he can do it. So then that—that that doesn't like help me. That like catapults me to this next job. When I saw it, I was like, I gotta have help. Like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. So he's like, well, there's just, there's we just hired this big mechanic, this big new mechanic from another company. His name's Jesse, and uh, we're gonna send him out. Oh, and, and so once again, Jesse, uh, you know, Hebrews thirteen two says to always be careful to show hospitality because you may entertain angels without being aware. Oh. Well, the only thing I knew about Jesse, and once again, this is where we don't know the language that I'm supposed to use or not, but this is the <laughs> life that I lived. And yeah. maybe your angel isn't Michael Landon from you know House on the Prairie or Highway to Heaven, right. uh, which I named a ministry at the prison highway to heaven over this exact thing in the oh, back wow. of my head but either way he was not michael landon his name was jesse and the only thing that blake told me when he was going to send me out there <laughs> to teach me was that we're getting this great crane mechanic yeah. because supposedly he got fired for jacking off in a crane at his last job <laughs> and i'm thinking i don't care just send him 
So, you know, that, that part wasn't that big of a deal to me. He gets off and sticks his right hand out to shake my hand. I'm like, all right, dude, I, no way. I, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you two things right now. Number one, I'm not going to shake your hand. And number two, this is what I heard because I don't want to, like, hide it from you. And I told it to him, and he laughed, and I do not believe it was true because, I mean, once again, he just laughed about it. That's and so then good. right after he gets done, he's like, do you believe in Jesus? And I'm like... <laughs> Do what? And then he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if, if you're going to be working with me, I'm going to be talking about him because I believe in Jesus. I'm like, okay, just like 18 seconds ago, you were coming off and I had to be honest with you. And now you're going to talk to me about Jesus. He's like, well, yes, let's sit down. So, I mean, like literally the right off of the heliport, we are sitting on a, a gang box, which is the toolbox on the top of the thing. He's like, oh, let's man. sit down and talk about Jesus. I'm like, what is going on right now? It's like a Twilight Zone episode, right? I'm, I'm sitting down, I'm looking at it. He's like... Yeah, so, uh, you know, so I, if you're going to be working with me, you're going to hear about him all the time. He's like, so what do you think about Jesus? And I was like, well, um, I'll tell you this. Uh, yeah. Like, there's been many times when Jehovah Witnesses have answered the door. I, I we come to the door and I've answered butt naked. There's been times. That, oh, that's a true story. There, there's a true because it's hard to get them to stop coming. So that that will do it. So, but there's been times that I'll get into a conversation and I will say, "Hey, man, I mean the Bible. It literally says on the side, edited by King James. All right, so here's a book that says it, it's God's word, edited by King James. So I'm like, all I know is, is if like you said, Eric, you need to get people in shape. What would you do? Let's think of ten laws. Um, don't sleep with my wife. Don't want my stuff. Yeah. Don't steal my stuff. Definitely. Don't kill me. That would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how, how are you going to make them do it? Well, bring in Steve King and bring in Dean Koontz and let's make up a story about the devil. Well, what are we going to scare him with? Fire. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll never forget it. I, Jesse, I learned so much from Jesse that still is alive in my ministry today. Jesse just looked at me, just go on with the most less like loving, not, not against me, but not for me. Just, just let me get done. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And when I got done, he was like, well, I hate that you see it that way, but you're going to be working with me. And we're going to, so yeah. you're going to hear about him. So the next day we get up and we're rebuilding these pumps and these pumps have all these little bitty pieces. And once again, I know what the pieces do, but I don't know what they're called. And he's like, hand me such and such. Yeah. What's that? What does it look like? <laughs> you know, and, and so. Can you describe it? However, he could tell me to what to rebuild this and I could do it. So he, he, he understood yeah. enough, but he used it to his advantage because he's like, you know, look at Jesus in the sky. Do you see those birds? Jesus created those birds. So finally, like lunchtime, first day, little pieces, me going insane. Him asking me questions I don't know the answer to. And <laughs> Jesus is great. I'm like, all right, dude, we got we got to stop with the Jesus stuff. He goes, I'll never, and, and I'll use this for anyone that I meet that, you know, just doesn't even know where to start. Right. He's like, here's the thing, Eric. If you'll read the book of John, the gospel of John, mm -hmm. and you don't have questions for me, I won't say the name of Jesus in front of you again. And wow. at this point, I'm like, wow, what a challenge. Bet. Yeah, I'll take that bet <laughs> any right day. Now. Right like, now. do I need to read it right now? Or he's like, yeah. no, I've got a Bible. So he gives me his Bible. Right. He wants me to read the Gospel of John. Okay. Um, we were working 16 to 17 hour days in the sun because that's what happens at the top. <laughs> and, you know, once again, you get in the bed. I would start the story. Yeah. I would start whatever I was in. Yeah. I'd fall asleep. I'd wake up and Jesse would be like, so uh, what'd you read last night? And I was like, well, you know, Jesus was going into the town and he said this and I fell asleep. And then he would tell me the rest. He'd be like, well, this is what, you know, when Jesus goes in, this is what's going to be said. He didn't add anything to it. He didn't take anything away from it. And I would go to bed that night. I would go and I'd pick up where I was reading and I would read everything he told me, almost word for word. And then I'd fall asleep. I'd read half of a new thing and I'd fall asleep. And we repeated this the whole first hitch for about, you know, 14, 18 days, guesstimate at that time. So 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working through the front side and, and, and I'm starting to understand, you know, Jesus, you know, this and that. Well, we go in for a hitch now. So what that means is we go out for a certain amount of time. I was a smoker at the time. I, God took those away from me by the grace of God through a time and process. And there's a, another long story, as you can Amen. tell on that. Amen. But me ultimately, too. we only had three days in between these two hitches. And if they told me I was going out for 14 days, I brought 28 days worth of cigarette, cigarettes because you never really knew when they were going to bring you back. So we went out there for 14, 18 days. We came back and they only gave us three days in. And that meant that all I could do is go home. When you get inland after being out for two weeks, the whole earth goes like the boat. Dude. Yes. So you're like that the first 24 hours. Yeah. And then I had 24 hours of being normal. And then right back to, to, to the heliport. Yeah. <laughs> All I did was pay bills, run around, hear Chris complain, go back to offshore. So when I got to the, to, to, to the heliport, Jesse was there and he was like, instead of you reading, I got you a DVD, a, a CD player and the gospel of John on CD. And I'm going to tell you, that really made me want to listen or read the gospel yes i was understanding information yes it was for a bet for him not to bother me <laughs> yes it was the fact that i know his 72 hours are just as short as mine right and he cared enough about what he was doing by challenging me with it to make it easier because he wanted me to to actually know it right the personal element is what really changed mine and jesse's relationship that him buying that little $10 CD player and probably zipped it somewhere. You'd have to ask Mick how to do that onto the disc and, and gave it to me, <laughs> made me appreciate it and respect it. So we go out, we're out there for another, you know, 14, 21 days, whatever. I'm listening to it. So I'm able to cover more ground. We're getting into pretty good conversations. We came home for a longer hitch, maybe, you know, maybe seven, seven days we were off. So I actually had some downtime with family, kind of catch your, your bearings again. And at that time, we went out. Well, the time we went out, this is kind of where I didn't realize this is where we were at in Scripture because I'm listening to it, right? I'm not reading it. Right, so I really right, don't right. know what's going to happen next because I'm not yeah. like reading the header scan. So you got to remember, I'm, I'm auto. So we get down to the heliport. To, so to get to Fushon, where we would fly out from Slidell, is about a three-hour drive. So we picked up the truck. Drove down. You got to be there at 5.15 for weigh-in. Well, when you weigh in, me and Jesse are mechanics, so each of us have 300-pound rucksack. So on the heliport, it's all about weight. If I can transport 10 guys that weigh 150 pounds versus two mechanics in their bags, right. you're going to lay on the floor from 5.15 until 5 o'clock that afternoon just sucking up the cold off the floor. <laughs> that, was your, that, that was our day. Everybody else gets to go out, and you're like... <laughs> Yeah. So here it is, you know, 4.45, the, the mechanics come up and they're like, they wake me up. Like, and it's like, hey, uh, so here's your two options. You guys can uh, come back tomorrow. What? What? Or you can go out low on fuel. Oh, we're going out low on fuel. <laughs> I mean, I, after the first option, I didn't even really, I, it didn't process what the second one was. It was just whatever this is. You're going out is all I heard. Cool. We're going so we get on the helicopter, and once again, at this time, I'm pretty seasoned on riding on helicopters. We've been doing it a while. Well, we get out, and it's a little A-star, five-seater, so the, the, the pilot's to the right, Jesse's to the left, those are the two in the front seat. I'm sitting in the back. I'm a wide enough individual on my shoulders, but there's two other guys that are just as wide as me, so they're packed door-to-door door and me in the middle. No, I was on the left. You were door-to-door, and I'm on the left, so the left-hand door is against me, and I'm behind Jesse, and we are flying, and I am looking straight down at the sky, uh, straight down to the ground. We are flying with the 
the nose of the helicopter straight down 90 degrees to where what? the propellers are going straight forward. And I'm like, and it's a young kid. And, you know, I've never even seen this pilot. He looks like he's 12 years old. And, and I'm like, I key up the mic. I'm like, um, hey, uh, why are we flying like this? And apparently everybody else on the helicopter paid attention to the briefing that we were going to be low on fuel and understood it. Because at this point, I guess it's because I was asleep. I'm like, um, this is not normal. So the, the little pilot, he kind of keys up. Um, that's because the fuel is usually in the back. And that's what levels us out. And we don't have any of that. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good answer. You know, so I'm, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what? So, I'm, I, 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 so I realized that now I kind of hear that guy going, oh, you can go out on fuel. We're going out. I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm like, so I key back up. I'm like, so uh, what's the plan if we don't have any fuel? He's like, well, what we're going to do is the very first rig we come to, we're going to land and get some fuel, just enough to get us to the next rig, and we're going to just, like, hop from rig to rig until these two get off, and then it'll be you and Jesse going out further. What the heck? Ooh. Uh, and, you know, dead silence. All I can do is sit there and like, oh. Okay. All right, so now you got to understand, uh, A-Star has the two little uh, landing beams. Mm -hmm. All right, so when you're on a heliport, it's just this little gray port. It's got, you know, the little gray stage. It's got the H on it. And when you look at an oil rig picture, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you come, you have to come against the wind because the way that a helicopter takes off is you just hover and you tilt forward and then the wind takes you. Right. So you have to find out where the oncoming wind is, and then you have to land it that way. And this dude's like this. So it's like the, the front of those springs have to go down and then just sit the rear end of it down. Wow. So, All I can say is sketchy. Eighty percent of the death in the Gulf happened on helicopters. Got that going for me, um, which is nice. Now we don't have any fuel, and I got a twelve-year-old. That's that, that. You know, I'm like, this is awesome, right? So we go in on the first one, and he does awesome. I mean, he finds the air. We go down. He lands. I'm like, hey, this kid can fly. You know, I'm like, yeah. all right, all right. so we get a little splash. And we get back in the air. And everything went man. Okay, so here comes on the second one. So, you know, we're coming in, and me and Jesse went and serviced this platform right. on this hitch, mm -hmm. and we measured it yeah. from, from where we were to where we fell off the deck. Right. The, the propeller was within two foot of this steam pipe that came out. Okay. So when he comes in, he catches the wind at the right area to where he's coming towards it, but it has a pipe on the back side of the, the, the heliport square. Right. So he comes in, sets down the front of the, 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 the planks, and then when he pops down, he pops down too hard, which makes us go, Ooh. which makes us go forward, which makes us go towards the pipe with the lead blade. Uh, and he rolls know. off of the platform left. Here comes the ocean towards my side. I was left-hand side. I had already undone my seatbelt and put an elbow in the dude's throat because I was getting ready to, when we hit, try and swim, right? I mean, yeah. that's like within those seconds, you know how your life passes before. I don't know about that. But it was a long time, you know, and, and, and I, I did a lot of things and thinking when that happened. Yeah. And then by the grace of God, in, in hindsight, eight out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times, it doesn't happen this way. As we're free falling off of the top of the platform, he pulls up and has enough torque to jerk us and go straight up in the air. So wow. we're falling this way and jerk straight up. When he does, the dude in the middle starts screaming, not trying to be offensive, like a chick. He's like, ah, so I'm like, but right now, you know, to be fair, he's like terrified. And he also had my elbow in his throat. So like, it's so when it's like, I removed my throat for a second, but then it was definitely high pitched. <laughs> so we're up and we're and, and, and the pilot now, he's turned white as a sheet and his hands are jiggling. And if you've ever seen somebody fly, it's very, oh, he's very 12, low. man, he's scared. The, the, the gas light's going beep, beep, beep. The sound effects really <laughs> help, you know? 
it's like um <laughs> so you know we're, we're flying around the dude's all scared and I, finally i like keyed up long enough for that and i'm like which could have been like six seconds for me but i'm like um are you gonna land he's like uh in a minute in a minute yeah i don't know if we have a minute so either way long story short he does he lands it he lands it right they get off on this platform that dude had to get on a medical boat and go in so he was literally like actually hurt with the torque that it took to to rip us up in the air he literally was medically hurt and had to get on a boat we found that out the next day wow they get off we get fuel we fly normal we're good going deeper out in the ocean Yeah, no more of that so the whole time i'm like i'm not gonna tell my wife that happened i'm not gonna <laughs> tell my wife we're just gonna act like that didn't happen i got on the phone like oh i almost died today let me tell you so anyway all that to get to the point that the next day when i wake up yeah or well actually that night when i listened to what i was going to talk about with jesse the next day yeah it's right when jesus says it's time you have to be planted in the ground it's now my hour when the greeks come to him over in john 12 right. that you have to die to be rose again and i'm like you just experienced and, and so i mean i it, it was like i need god to save me because i almost died yesterday and yeah it became very real well <clears throat> from that near-death experience to the time that we had to go inland Anytime a hurricane comes in between Cuba and the bottom of Florida, all third-party personnel has to come off of the go off of the rigs. Right. So Hurricane Katrina comes into the Gulf. They get rid of us first. Yeah. All right. So we get in. It was my daughter's birthday. August nineteenth is her birthday. You can do the math to find out when it all actually is. But her birthday's the nineteenth, and we had a like a. Uh, the house that I ended up buying because once again now I'm making all the money that I'm making we got a house on the actual inlet where you could see Lake Pontchartrain and the I-10 bridge and on the backside had water it had a channel behind us that during the Mardi Gras the parades would come by so we had like a Hawaii luau party okay and all I can do is tell my buddies about God and Jesus and salvation and I, oh, yeah. I, I mean if I, I don't have like an aha right there. He changed me. But I do know that I was transformed during this process right. when I got home. Because all I could do is talk about him. And they were like, what's wrong with you, dude? So now, even with that in my, that message in my mouth, my brother-in-law, Mark, my wife's brother, came down for an EMS conference down in the French Quarter on that Friday night. Right. So we go down there, and they were drinking Amistad. Is that right? Either way, it's a... It's a Alcohol or liquor or whatever, but it makes you trip. Oh, we're talking about absinthe. Okay, whatever it is, it makes yeah, you trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm hanging yeah, out yeah, with all these yeah. paramedics. They're pumping me full of all this this garbage. I'm talking about Jesus and God. And next thing you know, they got me like tripping and talking. I remember getting <laughs> on the I-10 bridge. So once again, salvation doesn't look the same for everybody. But That's I got true. on the I-10 bridge. I, I was not driving. I was in the passenger seat. And nah, the reason I know that is we were call. driving home on the I-10 bridge. And I had my arm out the window. Like, you know, you do the air where it hits your hand and your arm. And I, I, I thought yeah. of like that character that has like the rubber arms. Yeah, the wacky inflatable flailing arm tube man. There you go. Well, either way, wake up the next morning to somebody pounding on my front door. Oh. Hung over. Well, Been I, out all night. Yeah, I imagine so. Here we are two, three hours later. I open the door. It's my buddy Mac. And he's like, hey, dude, we got to evacuate. And I looked at him and I just slammed the door. Like, slammed the door and turn around. <laughs> so he knocks again. You know, I take, take three steps back. He's, like, he's knocking again. I open the door. It's like, what, man? He's like, turn on the TV. So I turn on the TV and the whole gulf is like this big storm. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Where did this come from? He's like, that's why you're home, remember? I'm like, yeah, but it didn't look like that last time I saw it. So, like I said, we all lived on one street. Right. There was eight families. Okay. I think it was 36 of us. Wow. Okay. And 
we all had a football flag for our home team and an American flag in the middle. And you would pick each week. And whoever had the best picks was in the front. And whoever had the worst was the last flag. And the reason that mattered was we had three TVs on Sundays. And however you ranked was who was going to watch their games. Oh. You had to buy the groceries twice out of the season. Eight of us, two times each family. Okay. But it was like 1600 bucks for a Sunday. Ooh, wow. I mean, so we, but, but it was incredible times. Yeah. But all of us had to get home, and some lived in Washington, some right. lived in Atlanta, some so some were close, some were really far away, some had money, some didn't. You had to have enough fuel to get past Mississippi to be able to evacuate. Um, wow. I saw a little girl and her dad when we were just buying snacks that he was like, yeah, we're going to ride it out. I still don't know what happened to that. Oh, I, I mean, wow. I always wonder what happened to that little girl. But we were blessed with enough fuel and enough ways to, to get out of there. Um I, I could go into the details of how we packed up and everything else and telling the kids to just grab one thing that they really loved. And I, I bought my kids affection at that point yeah, in time. So when the hurricane took everything away, yeah. one of the things God opened my eyes with is they never missed the material things. That was all in my head. Oh, wow. I, I, and so we, we, we evacuate. We come back up to Georgia, runs us back home. Um, totally changed in my heart, and everybody's mad. Like they're they're actually calling me cuss names because I'm like, yeah, but we're getting out, and God's really blessing us, and it's all by grace. And they're yeah. like, shut up! I mean, they were literally like mad at me because I was I was I just saw it different. Right. So we get up. Long story short, from that point forward, I I've only talked to Jesse one time, and it was the day that I was getting baptized. And so, like, I tried calling him for like three months because it's it's a process to try and get somebody on a satellite phone. I got to actually, God allowed it to go through on the day I was riding to the church to get baptized. Wow. And that's the last time I've ever heard Jesse's wow, voice. Cool. So entertaining an angel without being aware, whether yeah. or not the rumor in the front side was true, I don't know. But I know that he saved up money to go gamble once a year in Vegas. And, you know, he had like multiple people that he sent money to around the world that he would go around <laughs> on vacation. But yeah. it's it, like a cool it, dude, it, man. he cared enough to care enough. Yeah. And, uh, Joined a church, kind of asked what was going on with there. Um, got a job at Naramco making pharmaceutical narcotics with no taste for drugs. God absolutely removed that, really removed Amen. the need or hunger for cursing. Those two just fell off of me. But with God, anytime you knock down three, there's like three more behind those three. So oh, there's nine yeah. things now, and, and then there's sure. 27 things. And ultimately, it's whether or not you were nice to the person at the convenience store, not do I smoke. Yeah, um, right. You know, so so once again, there, there's a process from there that go into water treatment, learning chemistry. Um, so then I worked in water for 10 years, and I've been in fire for six years. So I've lost everything to water and fire. I've worked in water and fire. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ministry story of how he called me into the church, how I asked questions that I did not know you weren't supposed to ask. Like the first church I go to, you go to Sunday school, and they're like, well, you know, one spouse could stay home. And yeah, if you want to starve. And I didn't know you weren't supposed to say that out loud. And they, like, like the older people would look at me like, no, like if you had faith for you to pay my bills. I mean, I, I don't understand how that happens, you know, and, and, and it, was, it was funny because and what you need to do is go witness. Well, how? I don't know. Don't you love that? That's my favorite. My favorite thing is you need to go do this. Okay, well, what does that look like? I, I don't know. I just know you need to go do it. Dude, they had me watching Kurt Cameron and Way of the Master and Ray Comfort, and they came to Monroe, and I went to like, I, I'm like the, the little yuppie guy. I'm like going to conferences like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do, and learning these programs that have absolutely no ability. Right. But to let me fail, but in the failure is your success. <clears throat> Absolutely. I learned that that didn't work. I learned that it's a live relationship. I learned when I stopped listening to others that don't know what they're talking about and just fell in love with God and started to try and make impact in other people's lives yeah. that he gave me that yeah, I don't yeah. deserve. It became a living 
word. It became a living story. So once yeah. again, I, ultimately, I'm usually more of a teacher. Yeah. But that's the. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, and there's so much more in there that that. Well, I mean, for the for the sake of time, I yes. think we're 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 like really far into this. I didn't realize it was going to be, but that was, dude, that was totally cool and totally awesome. And yeah, so we're gonna wrap it up here because uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep on going and get on into some other different topics, and I'm super excited about that. But uh, yeah, so we hope that you continue to to listen. Um, but if not, you know, then you can save it for the next workday because that's usually what I do now is I listen to podcasts while I work. Um, it helps pass the time, but also the same time too. That was super cool to hear. That was the first time I ever heard it. Yeah, but so. at least listen to one more because that's not my normal. Okay, all right, all right, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> but, but, right, we'll do we'll do one more. But I was just trying to make you. Yes, I guess aware of time is. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about listen to one more. If you're listening to us, because this isn't. Oh yeah. Okay, I, I'm, sorry. I'm not one to normally talk about this because, to me, that's the individual gift that God gave me to change my heart because of how oh, stubborn yeah. I was. Right, right, to right. To then fall in love with people not knowing what it means to be a disciple, a learner, right. and then God honoring that hunger and thirst. All God has ever asked you to do is to trust and believe Him. Now, that doesn't mean go. cognitively trust and believe with your mind. It means to trust and believe him that even though others don't have the answer, that doesn't mean don't find out. That means you need to find out because they don't have the answer. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Well, no, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally encouraging you to listen listen to more, obviously, but that that <clears throat> that's not how I know you. I mean, like, I think the first time that we ever talked and you called me and you were just like, you were just trying to feel each other out or whatever, we ended up. Well, I I tell people this story now this way. Eric talked for three hours and 45 minutes, and I think I talked for 15 minutes. But you absolutely blew my mind with some of this stuff. Like, I had never heard this stuff before, ever. Not I, I hadn't even considered it, but it was so cool to watch God work because I had been in my alone time, in my quiet time, in my prayer time. I had been asking asking god for someone to come and 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 to help me and i you know i went through that time when i was at my last church where i kind of was like one of the smartest dudes in the room like i knew you know the most about scripture and stuff like that like i was just rattling it off you know you know people would say something and i was like but yeah it also says da 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 and then so when in talking to you i i, I remember coming getting off the phone coming back inside <clears throat> Uh, going to my wife and I was like, so I don't know anything, and um, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the, like I, I, everything that I thought, like, I, I don't know. I was like, I, something, something's happening right here. Something's totally happening. And, and into, in, in that, and in, in our growth together, in the time that we've, we've uh, spent with one another, it's been just an absolute blessing. So yes, I totally encourage you to listen to more because there is so much that we are going to talk about and that we i mean i hope and i pray that it is just as informative and life-changing as it was for me so once again we thank you uh all for listening and we hope that that was like a blessing to you and that you could connect to it in some way whether it was my testimony or whether it was eric's testimony um but yes uh once again we thank you and uh we'll see you on the other side <laughs>